Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. The text reads, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called its name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And as we get into this text here, finishing up Genesis chapter 4, We are looking at the idea of Seth's family and the knowledge of the Lord. So we're looking specifically at Seth and the knowledge of the Lord. And what we note here is obviously there's the birth of Seth. And that's the first thing that we want to kind of dive into here is to look at this idea. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. Now, uh, what we don't know for sure is when this took place. We also don't know if there were other sons. Uh, it seems it was indicative of the time of, of the murder of Abel that there were other people because of, remember, Cain's uh, commiseration, self-commiseration, where he's only looking out for himself here. He thought other people would try and murder him. Well, what other people are there? They're all going to be his brothers and sisters. Is it just going to be the girls? Uh, It's hard to say. But regardless, uh, it, it seems that a lot of time had passed to get them to the point where these incidents took place or this incident took place. And now we have this happening. It's probably not decades later, not hundreds of years. I mean, they go on to have children for hundreds of years. Uh, but now Moses, remember, he's the one who has uh, written the book of Genesis. He is now going to switch from following Cain and his wicked line, which we already noted before, which ends the seventh from uh, Adam with Lamech or Lamech, and the seventh from Adam, not through Cain, but through Seth, is going to be uh, Enoch as we'll see later in Genesis chapter 5, who walks with God, and then God takes him. So a very, very different contrasting line. So now Moses goes back to Seth's line, and we're going to pick up a new line, I should say, and, and we're introduced to Seth. What we see in this is, again, uh, the reiteration of marriage and uh, the, the intimacy within marriage. We've seen this verb before. Uh, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. So we have this reiteration of marriage. He knew his wife, not just another woman, uh, and there wouldn't be any other woman. And she bore a son. And then she says this, uh, she calls his name Seth, And she says, for God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. 
And as we begin to follow this line through, what we notice is that Eve has, you know, come to terms with their, their punishment for their sin. And instead of hardening her heart as Cain did when he was confronted with his sin, uh, she is now back to a proper place of understanding. And, uh, and we've already seen this earlier in the chapter. She said that she uh, was able to get a child with the help of the Lord at the beginning of the chapter. And she recognizes this again. God has appointed for me another offspring. One of the things that that teaches us just by observation is that God brings forth life even after creation. So while he's not in the sense creating ex nihilo out of nothing, it is his hand at work within creation that brings forth life. And Eve is able to recognize that with the birth of each of her children, she recognizes that God's hand is in it. And even we get indication of this in the Psalms. Psalm 139, for instance, is going to go into depth about that. That's a Psalm of David. And we see God's hand in the formation of our lives uh, on this earth. And we would do well to remember as believers that God is involved. And just because he's not creating out of nothing, ex nihilo, he is still involved in the creation process of bringing human life into this world. And so that's important. And we also notice here that God is able to heal the wounded and the crushed in spirit. And she says this, she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So we note the mother's remorse here. And while it's not just dripping with uh, with emotion necessarily, one doesn't have to imagine too far to begin to come up with the sense of, of sorrow that she would have. I mean, you just look at mothers today who have lost children or have been through something traumatic like that. It's, it's very, very troubling. And so the fact that she mentions the killing of her other son, that's got to be hard. Well, one of the things that we have for us in the scripture, one of the promises we have is that God is able to come near to those who are brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's Psalm 34, 18. And we see this played out. How does God come near to the brokenhearted and save those crushed in spirit? Well, it's not always going to be through the gift of life, but some of it's going to be through his promises And I think that that's what she sees here. You know, God has appointed me another son. Uh, So it's not just in life, but the fact that God has made promises and she's trusting in those promises. But we see his provision for her in this. Now, as we make this transition to go from examining Cain's lineage, and now we're introduced to another figure, namely Seth, and we begin to follow his line, One of the things that we're going to notice, and of course, the last verse here in verse 26, we're going to come to this phrase that people, uh, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, one of the things that we have to recognize is obviously this contrast between Cain's line and Seth's line. And 
while we know that Seth is going to end up producing some godly offspring, one of the things we have to note is that just because you're from the right lineage and right line doesn't guarantee that you're going to do that. But Alan Ross said this, he said, it can be said that instances of faith were more likely to be found in the family that led to Abraham, i.e. they're going to come from Seth's line. And what he's saying there is, while not everyone is going to be saved who comes from Seth's line, uh, you're more likely to find somebody who's saved and calling on the name of the Lord from his line than you are from Cain's line. And just because Cain is bad seed, and he definitely is, doesn't mean that no one from his line is going to necessarily call upon the name of the Lord. Although we do know (laughs) that Cain's entire line gets wiped out with the flood. So there is that, but it's an interesting thing to note. Now, when it comes to everything that's happening here with Adam and Eve and uh, God's provision of Seth, one of the things that we haven't talked about that we need to is not only the idea that she recognizes that God is the one that has granted her this offspring, but if you back up before that, they call his name Seth, or she bore a son and called his name Seth. Well, what does Seth mean? The name Seth may mean something like a new beginning or a a new foundation. And so it it shares similarities etymologically. And so we have to understand that, that, that they're now shifting their hope. Obviously, their hope was in Abel. Abel's dead. Can't put their hope in Cain because Cain's the one who made sure their firstborn was dead. And now on this child, their hopes were renewed. And so it seems that his name is, you know, in keeping with this idea of a new beginning or new creation. Now, as we get then to verse 26, we're going to set this up so that Seth also has children and his son that is named is Enosh. That's all we get. We don't get to go three or four generations removed like we did with, with Cain. Although when we get to Genesis five, we will follow that line all the way through uh, to Noah. So uh, that's you know that's that's where we're going to spend the time doing that. But in the fact that he uh, names him Enosh, what we have here is is a new beginning because there's a new line. A new line has been forged, and a new line is going to uh, end up resulting in Noah and a few other people who are righteous in the eyes of God along the way. But the reason that we know this is we don't have any mention of this under Cain's descendants until we switch the narrative to Seth and his descendants at the end of this verse, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting expression here, this phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord. When it's used in the Pentateuch, and of course by Pentateuch we mean the first five books of the Bible, it supports the idea of more than just praying. We're not just talking about praying. And you can look at a few different instances throughout, right? Genesis 12, 8, Exodus 34, 6, Leviticus 1, 
one. And this name, the, the name of the Lord, Shem or Sem uh, name, uh, we have to understand this is the name. This is, you know, all caps here. This is, you know, following God. And so when we refer to the name, as we see elsewhere in the Bible, we're talking about the nature, we're talking about the characteristics and attributes of God himself. And so to call on the name is to make references to who God is, is not just a petition necessarily, but it seems that to call upon the name of the Lord is to make some sort of proclamation about the, about the Lord. And so I guess the best way to bring this into the common parlance, if you will, into, the, in, into our day and age would be to say that we are living and speaking with a biblical worldview. In other words, the things that I'm doing, I'm including God in the picture. And now we see some people starting with Seth and Enosh who are now calling upon the name of the Lord. They're, what they're doing is they're mentioning God and his attributes in their daily life. Certainly something that was completely absent uh, in Cain and his line, but now that we have another line that produces godliness, uh, we have people who are making reference to God in their life. So again, it's much more than just prayer. It is seems to be a public acknowledgement of that. And one of the things that we can also note with this, as people are beginning to do this, is that Enosh, the son of Seth here, is alive when Noah is born, Genesis 5.29. And so what you have here at this point, we have a lot of firsts because this is Genesis, right? So of course we expect that. But right here, because of this, the particular verbiage to call on the name of the Lord, we have here, right in this instance, in this passage in verse 26, the oldest reference to the worship of Yahweh. It shows that the name of Yahweh or Jehovah was known by God's people from earliest times. Now that is very fascinating because this long predates the, the law of Moses, uh, and we see this long predates Abram, who's called out of Ur of the Chaldees. This goes all the way back, almost to the Garden of Eden. Obviously, Adam and Eve knew the Lord, and they take seriously the responsibility to communicate that to their children. And while Cain was a big zero, nothing, if you will, uh, in that he doesn't amount to anything. He's only known for his sin. By the time God replaces Abel with Seth, we now have the worship of Jehovah right here in the Bible, which is just absolutely fascinating. I think that that's uh, worth thinking about because it shows that it doesn't just begin with Abraham. It certainly doesn't <laughs> begin with Moses and the Mosaic law. God has been around from the very beginning and his desire has always been for fellowship and that people would enter into that relationship with him. So recapping all of this, we know that Cain's line is ultimately demolished in the flood. 
from Cain and his descendants, it does not appear that anyone sought the Lord. There could be exceptions. Hard to say, but we do at least have some people beginning to call upon the name of the Lord here. Now, bringing this full circle with our discussion on civilization, which really encompasses a lot of chapter four, especially at the end, we are left with the conclusion that what is important is not the advancement of society, right? As, as wonderful as those things are and the forgers of instruments and the, and the making of, of, of actual musical instruments and the working of the land and coming up with new things like that, those things are secondary. New scientific theories, cutting medical technology, cutting edge, right? Architectural advances, space exploration, all of those things. None of that actually matters. The thing that matters is how this chapter ends. And the chapter doesn't end with Cain and his godless progeny that come after him in the societies that they build. No, the thing that matters and the way this chapter ends ultimately is that whatever it is that you're born into, whatever line it is that you're born to and whatever profession, the most important thing is, is that you call upon the name of the Lord, that you begin to adopt a worldview that includes God in everything, that you publicly acknowledge him, you speak about him, you think on his words when you rise up, when you walk in the way, and when you lay back down, and again, you know, to quote scripture, those are the things that you need to be doing about. That, that's the most important thing. The only thing that matters in society is whether or not men call upon the name of the Lord. So personally, the only thing that matters for you and me is if we call on the name of the Lord. And if you're at the stage in life where you have children or maybe even grandchildren, whatever it is, the most important thing you can do for your children is to make sure that they know who God is and how to call upon his name, that they begin to incorporate the knowledge of him into their lives. That's the most important thing you could do. It's not teaching them a skill or a trade or any of those things. It is teaching them the word of God, reading it to them, praying with them, living out a godly life in your own example before anybody who looks on, before your spouse, before your children, before all of them, because that is the most important thing. So what a glorious note this chapter ends on. It's a note of encouragement. It's a note of exhortation for us, practically speaking, as, as Christians today. We need to follow in this same example. And let's make sure that we keep our priorities uh, where they should be, and that's on the Lord. We'll pick it up starting in chapter 5 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.